to share a story that's actually found in the Old Testament of the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. Um, some of you are familiar with the story. It took place in a city called Samaria. Back in the ancient times when uh, an enemy army or a nation wanted to capture a city, what they would oftentimes do in order to spare the lives of their own soldiers is uh, rather than just kind of a frontal attack on the city that was well walled and protected, they would oftentimes uh, besiege the city. They would put a siege around the city, up on the hills kind of surrounding the city, so the people who lived inside the city could not have access <clears throat> to their farms. Can you guys see over there okay? Um, it's not that nice of a drawing anyway, but uh, everybody see okay? And uh, so the people could not have access to their farms, get their food, they couldn't get to their vineyards and their drink and so on. And so the enemy armies knew that all they had to do was encamp around, cut off the access to the resources, and over time the city would either starve to death or they would eventually give in and the enemy army would just come in. Now, of course, the enemy army, they were uh, well, uh, you know, they had all they needed for resources. They had all the food they needed because oftentimes the uh, siege would, would last for months and even go into a couple of years. It all depended on how many resources were inside those city walls. Well, the story we have in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7 was a time in the history of Samaria, uh, a city in the nation of Israel, where the Syrians came against them. And they besieged them for so long, and things were getting so dire that it came to a point that all that was left to eat, if you could even get one, would be something like a donkey's head, the Bible said. And a donkey's head, which normally nobody would ever read, of course, that was just discarded, that was, that was gross and all that kind of stuff that's going through your mind. Uh, a donkey's head was actually going for the equivalent today of $800. If you wanted to buy a donkey, you needed $800. If that wasn't bad enough, people who couldn't afford a donkey head there were people going around selling dove dung. We can't say poop in church, but that's what it was. Okay, we can't say that, but, but they would sell a cup of dung droppings for $50. That's how desperate things were. People were craving for nourishment. In fact, it gotten even worse than that. The people had resorted to cannibalism. And uh, we read that things kind of really broke when the king got desperate. He was walking around the city wall surveying how bad things were. And a woman cried out to him in protest because, and you imagine the people are starving to death. She had made an agreement with another woman and said, listen, we both have two little children, a, a, little, a child each. We will eat my child first in order to survive. And then when the time comes, we're going to eat your child. They agreed on that. And so they did that. The Bible says that they, she, they boiled her child, they ate her child, and then whatever time it was, a day or two, whatever later, when they came for the other child, the woman had hid her child. And so that was her protest. So you can imagine the madness, what was going on within those city walls, and we know at that time that something began to change. Well, the story also says that there were four lepers who lived outside the city gates. The lepers were never allowed inside the city because in that day they were unclean and people were afraid of the disease and so on. And so they weren't allowed inside. They would always live outside. And the way they'd basically be fed in those days is that the guards or those who were patrolling the city walls when things were normal is they would basically drop leftovers over the side of the, of the, uh, of the walls and the lepers could survive. They could eat and probably ate pretty well. But of course, when the famine took place, there was no food at all. So here they were by the city gate that's where they stayed, but they were starving too. And so one day they basically decide that doing nothing really isn't working well for us. 
we're going to starve to death here anyway. And we look, maybe it's, you know, a few hundred yards away, maybe half a mile away. The enemy camp is all around. They've got plenty of food. So they talked to each other and they said, well, why don't we leave this place where we're sure to die a slow, agonizing death? Why don't we go to the enemy camp? Maybe they'll have mercy on us and give us some scraps, enough to get by, or they may even kill us. But at least if they kill us, it'll be over with fast. And we can be done out of the way because we're going to die. So we might as well go there and be killed, get it over with, rather than drag on a few more days by the gate and starve and die this slow, agonizing death. So that's basically what they decide to do. Well, the lepers didn't realize that while they were thinking about this, God was actually doing something here in the enemy camp. The Syrians were encamped all around, tens of thousands of soldiers. And the Bible says that what God did is he created this noise in the night. And, and the, the, the enemy army thought it was an approaching army, that somehow the Sumerian king had uh, made a deal with Egypt and some other nations, and they had brought armies to come to their rescue. So they heard this noise, like, you know, hoof, uh, hoof beats and just, you know, this great army is coming. And so they were terrified, though they saw nothing, and they just fled. They left everything where it was, the tents and the food, everything in place. And the Bible says that even as they were fleeing, they were just dropping things, dropping their swords and weapons. Whatever they had money, they were dropping it to save their own lives. Well, when the lepers finally get here, they're expecting to meet the soldiers, they're expecting something to happen to them, and they're absolutely amazed to find not only is there nobody here, but everywhere they look, there's food, and there's wine, and there's riches, and weapons, everything you can imagine, and there's only four of them. And you can imagine how you'd feel. You are starving to death, and you just see plunder everywhere. And so the Bible says that they gorged themselves, as you imagine they would. They ate all they possibly could. And then when they finished eating, and they kind of sat back and thought, okay, what are we going to do now? There's still too much to eat right now, so what we'll do is we'll get a lot of the food together, weapons, anything we need, all this money lying around, we're going to go and hide it, and we'll come back and get it later. I don't know what happened in the winter. We have like lots of little animals, little critters in our backyard, and I think a chipmunk must have gotten, one of the chipmunks got into my shed, and I didn't discover it until the springtime came, and every time I'd go to reach for something, I would just have all these bird seed, just because we had, I had this big bag of bird seed on the floor. And I saw a little hole in the bottom. Is my thing okay, or I'm going to be back and forth on that? Um, and so everywhere I go in the shed, I'd always find this pocket of seeds, this little stash, little stash, little stash. Well, that's kind of what these lepers were thinking. Let's just make all these little stashes, and we'll come back, and we'll eat like kings. Can I, I need to use this, though. Is it okay? My, just a second, let me try. Whoop. Is that any better? Come on, zero. Let me try that. Just so I can keep my hands free. So they were thinking the same thing. We'll have all these stashes and we'll live like kings. Well, then it dawns on them. The Bible says this in verse uh, 9 of chapter 7. They came to their senses and said to each other, this is not right. Read with me. This is a day of good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. Let that sink in for a moment. This isn't right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone. So they went and shared the good news, and by and by, the whole city basically is saved. Now, the Bible doesn't say what happened to these guys afterward. It doesn't say if they were rewarded, became heroes, or whatever. But I know that a shadow of a doubt, 
when they saw the whole city population come out and began to feast and take food back and, and more than they could ever need and, and to, to, to save the whole city, they must have been pretty thrilled. They must have been pretty excited to realize that because they had taken a risk, an entire city was delivered and they were saved. You know, some of us have had that feeling. Some of us know what it's like, as Charmin was, was sharing, as people who are followers of Christ. We know what it is to be obedient to the Lord in times, and sometimes it's, it's scary, but in those times that we are obedient, and we step out and we either share with somebody, or we, we help somebody in some way, or maybe we pray with something and God, somebody, and God shows up, and we just kind of feel that thrill of, I'm so glad that I took that risk. Or maybe you know what it's like, uh, you know, during a water baptism service to see somebody being water baptized and you know that you played a part in that. You know that you kind of stepped out and had some of those conversations that sometimes you're nervous to bring up because they don't look interested and, you know, whatever the case may be. Or, or maybe, you know, they joke a lot about you or they kind of put down what you believe in whatever and you just kind of feel like, well, I should share. And, uh, and so you did and that conversation kind of led them along their journey and eventually came to the Lord or they, they were baptized in water and you're sitting there and the excitement that you feel that not only do they know the Lord, but you just have this excitement, wow, God, I was part of that. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you know what it's like to maybe invite somebody to the church, and you've invited them 10 or 12 times, and they've said, no way. And that last time you invite them, they say, okay, I'll give it a try. And then what do you do? You just pray that when they come to church, oh, God, don't let them meet that crazy person. <laughs> you know, just keep that one. You know, we love them all, but just kind of keep that person away. Or, Lord, don't let anything crazy happen in the service. You know, as if God doesn't know they're coming. Well, I'm going to try this. I'll see if I can. There we go. And so we know what it is to have that feeling. And one of the reasons why we get to experience that feeling is that long before that person ever comes to the Lord, we made a fundamental decision. And that was at the core of your being, you came to a point where you honestly believed that a person is better off if Jesus is at the center of their life. That you really believed that. I know we believe, but do we really believe it? And there was a time in my life a long, long time ago where I actually came to a place where I stepped over that line from believing in God and going to church and, yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die, to actually the Lord getting a hold of my heart and saying, Paul, do you really believe that people are better off if I'm at the center of their life? And if you really believe that, then what are you doing about that? And so I found myself that wherever I go, and I still do the same thing today, whether I go to the bank or the grocery store or go to the mall, wherever it may be, I look at people, and I always see people, not as a crowd, I always look at people and I wonder, do they know Jesus? I look at people and I think to myself, I don't know where they are spiritually, but I know this, if Jesus was at the center of their life, they would know a new life, a new way of living, and have a relationship with God. But I wonder this morning, do we really believe that. Some of you here this morning, you know that feeling of maybe a family member, a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, whatever the case may be. You see them move along in their journey toward God, and you're so thrilled that you took a risk and you played a part in their lives. You're so happy that at one day, at one point in time, you decided you weren't going to keep the good news to yourself. Because that's in essence what we see in this story. We see some people who were surrounded by death 
and starvation and decay. They came into this bounty of provision and they feasted on it and enjoyed it. But then they came to their senses and said, this doesn't make any sense. We can't keep this to ourselves." And so they cared and they shared and the rest was history. In fact, if you've ever experienced those kind of feelings, you want to feel them again. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I got stories from years ago. But it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I've known that joy of just stepping out and following God's prompting and maybe baking something for somebody or doing nice for someone or speaking a word or, or as, as was shared, maybe even stepping out and praying for somebody. Maybe it's been a long time since you've done that. Or maybe you've never known that feeling. My prayer this morning is that God would inspire more of us here in this church to want to be part of somebody else's journey toward a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, that might involve your participation in the Kickstart Weekend, and that's wonderful. Be involved in that. Get started in that. It may be something like Charmaine said, that the Lord's already speaking to you about that along the way, or in some other way, He's going to be drawing you. But wouldn't it be wonderful if this time next month, the latter part of next month, early part of October, when we have a water baptism service, wouldn't it be wonderful to be sitting in the pew and seeing somebody baptized and say, I played a part in that. God used me in that. I think it's something all of us want to experience. So I want to talk to you about two simple things here this morning. Number one, when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to sharing the good news, number one is choosing an environment where you can actually make a difference. And number two, sparking conversations that move people along in their journey toward the Lord. But for this to happen... Every single one of us, I believe, as followers of Christ, we have to come to a point in our life where we listen to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to our heart, and we have to answer this simple question. Are you done with doing nothing? Are you done with doing nothing? It doesn't mean we don't do anything, but oftentimes it's within our comfort zone. Oftentimes we're, we're kind of by the relative safety of the wall. But if we're really honest with ourselves, our, our, our spirits are hungry. We're, we're hungry for more. We know there's something more out there. We know there's something more we're called to that God is calling us to. And we have to answer that question. Are you done with doing nothing? If I want you to ask the person beside you, are you done with doing nothing? Go ahead. Just give them a nudge. Wake them up. Are you done with doing nothing? That's where it all begins. But I can promise you this. The moment you make the decision to step out and start walking up that hill where God has a miracle waiting for you, you're going to wrestle with a lot of thoughts. You're going to be thinking, I'm crazy. You're going to be thinking, ah, this is just me talking to myself. Or you're going to be thinking, well, I know I should do this, but, but what will I say? What will I do? Or what happens if they do this? Or, or, or whatever the case may be. Any ever, ever those thoughts? And how many of us can raise our hand and feel free to do this morning to say, if I'm honest, I know I have missed many opportunities. I can look back. Maybe you can't even remember them now. There's so many. But I know there's been many times when I have felt a simple prompting and I've squashed it. I just said, ah, either, either that's just me or I know it's God, but it ain't going to happen. Yeah, I acknowledge that it's you, Lord, but you don't know who you're talking to. You know, I'm sure you'll find somebody else. And we don't know how many opportunities we've missed or maybe how many needs have actually even gone undone. 
Now, why does that happen? Why do we have these conversations in our mind? It's because we understand, as, as Charmaine shared in that, that beautiful scripture, where Jesus says the gates of hell will not be able to resist the advancement of the, of the kingdom of God. The devil knows that God has a miracle waiting for you. The devil knows this. When God prompts you to do something, he is already at work in the camp. He's already at work in that person's life. That's why he's prompting you to be a channel for him to work through, to partner with him in what he wants to do in that person's life so the person knows it's from God and that Jesus Christ is the reason for this and they can move closer toward him. You see, the devil knows that. He knows that the enemy has already been defeated and they have fled and there's a wealth of provision here. He knows that, but he wants to keep you by the gate. He wants to fill you with fear so you never step out, you never make that journey, and you never actually experience a living faith that knows the thrill and the joy of being used by God to actually bring salvation or healing or deliverance, whatever it is the Lord may want to do through you. I believe there's a hundred ways that you can be a churchgoer. There's only one way that you can really be a follower of Christ. And that is to live each day with this simple question as they asked in verse 3. Why should we just sit here waiting to die? There's got to be something else. There's got to be something else the Lord has. And that's not just your own discontent. That's the Holy Spirit stirring your heart. You see, I have no doubt as these lepers got closer and closer to the enemy camp, they were probably trying to encourage each other. Because, you know, this is not just some fairy tale. This is an actual story. These are real people who were facing life and death. And I can kind of imagine them moving closer and closer and kind of, I don't know, should we go? Well, hey, there's nothing back there. If we go back, we're going to starve. I know, but, you know, they got swords, and they're big guys, and they've got all, yeah, but they've got food too. Well, I don't know. And on and on they go, kind of encourage them. One step, one step, one step, one step. And they finally get there, and of course, to their surprise, they're not meted by a soldier. Nobody's there to finish them off with a sword. There's just an abundance, and there's joy from God's provision, as he promised through his prophet Elijah. Can I let you in on a little secret here this morning? Friends, you don't have to have it all together to be used by God. And you don't have to be full of faith to be used by God. I've been doing this for like 40-plus years. And i got to tell you, when the Lord prompts you to do certain things you still get the butterflies. You still get that sense, ah, don't, God, is this really you? You know, it's not just because I'm afraid you won't show up. I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, I got a reputation. You know, and so I'd rather kind of stay by the gate where even though I'm starving and probably not far away from spiritual death, you know, at least I'm not going to be embarrassed. At least, you know, God's not, whatever the case may be. But I got to understand that if I feel a prompting, it's not because of my own goodness. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying I'm doing something. As was already mentioned, even the sense of compassion. We go through our days totally oblivious to hundreds of people we intersect every single day. And that's not a bad thing. But in the midst of that crowd, once in a while, your antennae are going to perk up or you're going to feel a prompt and all of a sudden out of the blue, that person. Well, why do you feel that way? Because the Holy Spirit is getting your attention saying, I'm doing something. I just want you to be part of what I am doing. It may not be the final solution. It may just be a part of what I'm doing. But are you available to be used by me? And here's the real neat thing. And this doesn't sound very, you know, faith-filled, but I've found this in my own life. A lot of times when you step out, you see, I can talk easily, so I don't mind talking to someone about faith, about the Lord or whatever, because that's kind of a realm that I can control. That's kind of the natural realm, even though the Lord can use what you're sharing to, to change a person's heart. But when you step out of the miraculous, it's kind of like, well, you know, it's got to be God. 
you know, I can handle some of this terrestrial stuff, but we get into the supernatural stuff, like God's got to do it, or I look like I got, you know, pie on the face, whatever the expression may be. But isn't it funny that when you do step out, and I didn't ask Charmaine, and maybe she doesn't feel this way, but I know I've had it happen sometimes, you step out, and you pray with someone, and God actually does something, I'm more shocked than they are. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you sure? Are you sure? You know? Because a lot of times, we don't have a lot of faith. But if we're obedient and we step out, the Lord can meet us there. But here's the neat thing. When you experience that, your faith is built up. And you want to step out again. And you want to do something else for the Lord. Or you're more quick to respond, even though you may struggle with some of those same doubts and some of those fears. But it all begins with this decision. Am I tired of doing nothing? I don't mean absolutely nothing. We all do stuff for the Lord. But I mean, am I tired of never really stepping out into the realm where I've got to trust God and see Him do things that only He can do? Here's two ways we can start doing something. Number one, as I mentioned, choose an environment where you can make a difference. What I mean by that is every one of us as followers of Christ, we kind of move probably 10, 12, 15 different environments through the course of the week. Whether it's your job, your workplace, some club you join, some, you know, gym, whatever it may be, we kind of all have about a dozen places that we kind of move in and out. I wonder how more effective we would be if we would just come before the Lord and say, Lord, you know my calendar, you know where I am through the course of the week, through the course of the month. Is there a place, are there a couple of places that you would have me focus on as a place of ministry? That you would have me be more deliberate in the people I pray for and the conversations that, that I have an opportunity to share. Peter said this, he said, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So we need to be uh, ready to be used by God anywhere we may find ourselves, but we need to recognize that God has strategically placed every single one of us in different environments that intersect every sector of our society. And it's not that we're doing anything manipulative or secret. No, it's that God loves the world. God loves every single one of us. He loves every single person who doesn't know him. And so he has strategically placed those of us who do know him throughout our cities to intersect those who don't know him that they may know him too. It's not rocket science, but that's just the heart of God for people we rub shoulders with every single day. So my question is, where are those places God has placed you? It may be your workplace, it may be school, it may be the gym. Where do you go most days where there are people who are far from God? You know, one of the hazards of being a pastor and of working in the church is that most of the pastoral staff are already Christians. You can decide which ones. I'm working on a couple of them, but, but you know, pretty much everyone who works in our office knows the Lord. And so if I'm ever going to share my faith with somebody one-on-one, then I've got to choose an environment. I've got to be intentional in choosing an environment or in creating an environment where there are people who don't know the Lord, where I can actually speak into their lives. You know, one church we pastored some years back, I just got involved in martial arts again. I was involved in martial arts. Uh, Taekwondo is uh, uh, my favorite Olympic sport, by the way, but I was involved. I always get turned off because Vanessa watches one match. It's like, is there something else on? This is Taekwondo. Um, I used to be able to do that stuff. I can't now, but I used to. And so I decided to get involved again. I was in my early 30s, I think it was. I decided to get involved again. But it wasn't just for the fitness side. 
there was just a hunger in my heart to get into environments where I knew there were people far from the Lord. And so I got involved in a certain club, and over the course of three years, got to meet some people, uh, make new friends, and there were so many opportunities to have conversations with people. And a lot, of these time, a lot of the times, these were people who, you know, partied a bit too hard, and they, you know, they, they maybe drank a bit too much, or swore a bit too much, or they slept in the wrong beds on the weekend, whatever the case may be, you know, just all different walks of life. But yet you had these conversations. Uh, some were police officers, there were doctors, lawyers, all different walks of life. There were even people who were nominal churchgoers, who went to church but really didn't know Christ. All these opportunities to share with people and to just speak into their lives. But I can remember at a time saying, okay, Lord, this is my environment. This is the place that I've created that's a community, a fitness community. Lord, I just pray that you'd show me how to focus, how to be sensitive, just day by day, person by person, whatever I can do to be a part of what you're doing in somebody else's life. In fact, over time, we even had about 30 of the kids that I taught in the kids' class that actually came to our children's ministry over that period of time. So my challenge to us is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, choose or create an atmosphere in which you say, Lord, I want to be intentional here. I want to focus. I want to pray. I want to be sensitive to be used by you in ways you haven't used me before. So create or choose an environment. Now, if you do that, you're also going to have to do something else. You're going to have to learn to spark conversations that help move people closer to the Lord. Now, the entire motivation of this is simply because you know and you love Jesus. This is not getting people into a church. It's not, you know, it's not that at all. It's just that if you have a relationship with someone you love and you're convinced in your heart that life is better with Jesus, you're going to naturally just want to share that. You're not preaching to anybody. You're not ramming religion down anybody's throat. But you're just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he's saying, you know what, this person's heart is open, and I want them to know me. Are you willing to share? Are you willing to touch base? Are you willing to pray? Whatever it may be. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship, as we often say. So how do you spark those conversations that move people closer to God? I don't know about you. I'm a talker. Okay, I'm a talker. I, I admit that. But you may be surprised to know that that I find it really difficult to be involved in conversations that, you know, you know, you get into some of those conversations sometimes. I mean, you may be at a party or in some social environment, whatever, and just, you know, you get these conversations, they're just so not mind-numbing. You ever been in those? Like you're 10, 15 minutes in the conversation, you're just dying inside. It's like, can we talk about something meaningful? And, and I like talk about sports and all that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong, but you know, just sometimes it's just, just kind of that casual, ugh, ugh, on and on it goes. But I have found that if you can be creative in starting conversations, sparking conversations that move toward the things of the Lord or just even move toward issues that are actually important in life, you can actually have a lot of fun. I remember this one guy once, he, he knew I was a pastor. I can't remember what the, what the exact setting was, kind of a secular setting. He knew I was a pastor. He comes up and he says, hey, hey, Paul, you're, you're a pastor, eh? He says, uh, what's new? And then he says this. He says, oh, probably not much since you only work one day a week. And he laughed, you know. And I just knew it was going to be one of those conversations. You know, you ever kind of get that feeling like, oh, here we go. And uh, so I just thought, well, Lord, you know, is there anything I can say? And I just said something simple like this. I said, well, actually, there's some pretty neat stuff happening. I said, you know, pretty much on a regular basis, we're seeing God, you know, deal with people and getting junk out of their lives. We've, we're seeing some uh, marriages restored. In fact, not too long ago, we've, we've been seeing some people actually being supernaturally he uh, healed. You know, I said, that's really something, isn't it? And he kind of goes, yeah, that's, that's something. You know, and you can kind of see the wheels turning in his head. But I just felt in my heart, that's all the Lord wanted me to say. 
I wasn't to preach, I wasn't to whatever the case, it was just kind of make a deposit, leave it there, and move on. And that's all there was to it. In fact, if you're interested in helping people in their journey of faith, here's one real simple way to look at it. Let's say that the cross of Christ is what we might call ground zero. Most people, I believe, and all of us were at this place at one time, most people begin at kind of minus 10 in their journey. They have a basic awareness, yeah, there's, there's a God, I'm sure there is, I believe there's a God out there somewhere who made all this stuff, I can acknowledge that much, or whatever their, th their thoughts may be. And in different ways, God just moves people closer and closer to himself. The Bible says that no one comes to God unless the Holy Spirit is drawing them. And we've all had this experience in our own journey. We all come from different walks of life. And wherever we found ourselves on this, on this line here, we know that God spoke to us in different ways. For example, there may be somebody who actually speaks to you who's a believer and can share something. It may just be one of those sovereign things where you're driving in the car or walking down the street and all of a sudden you just have this thought out of nowhere and what it, you may not even recognize, but it's just God you know, dropping a thought into your heart. Hey, have you thought about life after this life? Or have you thought what life is really all about? Or are you really happy? Or what you have, your pursuits, are they really fulfilled? Whatever the case may be, the, you know, the Holy Spirit just kind of dropping things in a person's heart. Or maybe a person's going through something, you know, a real crisis point in their life, and they realize that there's more to, there must be more to life than this, or life is brief, or a death happens in the family, whatever the case may be. There's all different ways that God moves people along that journey, and he moves us as well. In fact, we could flip this around and say there's also ways that the Lord moves us as followers of Christ from a place of kind of being inactive and being nominal and being religious to actually being people whose lives are surrendered completely to Jesus Christ and being used by him. So we're all at different places along that journey, and so people find themselves there too. All the Lord is asking us to do, I believe, we talk about sparking conversations. He's saying, are you willing to be used by me to help people along their journey? So you may never have had the opportunity to actually be right here where you prayed with somebody and they've received Christ. But you can be just as excited, just as thrilled by just knowing God is using you, leave the results with him, just speak into someone's life. An act of kindness, a word, prayer, whatever the case may be, some of the things we're sharing this morning, that can be exciting to know you are part of what God is doing in their journey, and you may never be the one who prays with them, but when you look back, if God could show you, but here's where you fit in, here's where you fit in, here's where you fit in, because the ultimate goal is for a person to have a relationship with a God who loves them and really has a wonderful plan for their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, you may have had this happen. I had this happen once a long time ago. I can remember a friend that I was witnessing to. You know, and we were good friends, and over the course of a few years, you know, here and there, and invite somewhere, and, and talk about things, or he goes through things in life. We had a chance, and, and, but he was kind of like about here. And then one day he calls and says, Paul, I just want you to know, I met a Christian, he was at a retreat, uh, kind of a business retreat or something, he said, I bumped into a Christian, and he asked me, he said, would you like to know Jesus? And I said, Sure. And so the guy prayed with me and I accepted the Lord in my life. And he's so happy. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I've spent three years talking to you, building relationships. You know, not just for that. I mean, I love the guy. He's a good friend. But, you know, and somebody else. No, obviously I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? And I was excited. I was ecstatic for the guy. It was wonderful. But I knew God used me here. But God knew just the right moment. It was just somebody else, a different voice, same truth. And the guy said, hey, I'm ready. 
And there you go. I'm not worried about who gets the prize in heaven. You know, it doesn't work that way. We're just all part of what God is doing. And it, we allow the Lord to use us. It's, it's really a wonderful thing. And so you need to see wherever you may be along there, if you're deliberate in looking for ways to have those conversations, there's going to be a time when somebody's going to say, I think I'm ready. Or they're going to say, you know, can you tell me exactly how I can come to know the Lord? And as Peter says, we need to be ready to be able to explain that. And here's one simple way I'll never forget. Bill Hybels showed this back in the Walk Across the Room videos we did a number of years ago in, a Sunday, in the Sunday night. And these are one of the ways I think that we can explain it. And gives us an idea of really where we are and what, what the good news is that we have to share is really all about. I'll just move this to make sure you can all see that okay. But here's basically the good news. If... Uh, Let's just call this the goodness test. And so here we have God on the top. And most people will acknowledge that God, I'm blocking you now, am I? God will, uh, most people acknowledge that God is holy. Uh, that means that he is complete, lacking nothing. He is good. There's no sin in him. He's a perfect being. And so God is on top here. And here's kind of what you might say is, is our journey. Now, for most people you talk to who don't know God's Word, who don't quite understand what the good news is all about, they look at this line of getting to God as basically a line of good works. And that's basically what this is all about, because most of us, before we really understood the good news, we had this mindset that to actually have a relationship with God, to get up here, what we got to do is try to be the best kind of person we can be. And in fact, most people, you ask them, you know, do you know God? Or do you know that if, you, if and when you die that you will spend eternity with God rather than separated from God? Most people would think this way. Well, I don't know for sure, but I know I haven't killed anybody. Okay, well, what if you have killed somebody? You know, what happens then? Or, you know, and so what we do, our human nature, is we compare ourselves to others. Well, maybe I'm not good enough, but I'm not as bad as the other person, so hopefully, you know, it's like God has a quota for heaven. You know, I've only got like three trillion rooms, so... Ah, sorry, three trillion and one. You know, you can't make it. But that's kind of the way we think. And so here's a wonderful way to help communicate really what the good news is all about. Most people recognize, for example, someone like Mother Teresa, right? And so let's put it this way. If I was to ask you on this line, Mother Teresa, where would you put her? Now, most would say, well, man, she's next to God. She was an incredible saint, wonderful woman. Well, the problem is if you talk to Mother Teresa, she would be the first one to admit she has sinned. She's done wrong things. She's had bad thoughts. Amidst all the wonderful work that she has done, she'd be the first one to say, I know that my own good deeds were not enough by themselves. I needed something more than that to actually have a relationship with God. And so we'd say, well, where'd you put Mother Teresa? Well, all in all, she's still a pretty wonderful woman, incredible works. So let's just say Mother Teresa lands around here. Who's the next obvious person? Billy Graham, right? If you want to get a, you know, Wonderful Christian, wonderful godly man, somebody who should be close to God, Billy Graham. Well, if you know Billy Graham, and, you know, I don't know Billy Graham, and I hate people who, you know, drop names. You know, I was, tell, I was telling uh, Wayne Gretzky that last night. But, um, <laughs> but in any case, so if I was to ask you, um, you know, where would Billy Graham be? Well, you might say, well, he'd be up here somewhere. But the truth is, if you talk to Billy Graham, Billy Graham has said this himself in writings and sermons, that uh, he knows he's not good enough. Because among all the wonderful things that he has done for God and God has used him, he knows that in and of himself, 
that he's still a human being. He still fails. He still has sinned. He's said wrong things, done wrong things, had bad attitudes, whatever the case may be. So let's just say for Billy Graham that we put him right here for argument's sake. That's Billy Graham. Okay, now there's still a gap, so there's still a problem. Now, I've been in pastoral ministry for over 30 years. So I've done a lot of things for God, okay? And I won't ask you, I'll do it myself. But if I was to put myself somewhere here on the line, okay, let's just say, um, you know, I'm somewhere around here. Maybe. Now, if I was to give you the marker and say, where would you put yourself on this line of good works that actually get you close enough to God? Where would you put yourself? Now, most times I've found when I ask somebody and I show this illustration, they're kind of right here, just under me. Like they say, okay, you're a pastor 30 years, I'll give you that much, but I'm not that bad. Like I said, I haven't done this, this, and the other thing. I'm not as bad as somebody else, so I'm probably around here. Well, okay, that's fine. But here's the problem. How do you get to God? What's your plan to bridge this gap to get to God to have a relationship with Him? And the reality is, we don't have a plan, do we? Our only plan is to try hard and to hope for the best. That's basically religion. Any religion around the world, whatever they call themselves, Christianity, Islam, Baha'i, whatever, that's the bottom line. We just try to do the best we can and hope that when we stand before God, our good ways are bad. Well, we don't have a plan, but the good news is, the good news we have to share is God has a plan. And His plan is Jesus. And the way He bridges this gap is through the cross. And through the cross of Jesus, all my sin has been paid for. He was nailed to a cross to take all of my sin. And here's the miracle. It says, the Bible says, so that all of his righteousness could be transferred to me. And now I come to God through faith in Jesus, and we have wonderful fellowship. And here's the gooder news. Now as his child, as his child, if I mess up again, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm just like anybody else. I'm, I'm trying to do my best and, and learn what I learn and, and walk in obedience, but I may still stumble and fall. But if I do, the Bible says, if I will confess my sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I continue to walk in fellowship with God. And I continue to hear his voice and I continue to know his blessing and I know his truth and I know his ways work and he makes life blossom in a wonder, wonderful ways. And when I face challenges and I face dark days and I face disease and I face challenges like anybody else, you see, friends, here's the, here's the gospel message. I've said it many times. Being a Christian does not make me better than anybody else. It just makes me better off than anybody else. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of the facts that I've learned. That, that's what faith is all about. The facts line up. I know my need. This makes sense. God's done this for me. I accept it. And it's by faith that I put my faith in Christ. The Bible says if I do that, He washes away the record of my sin. He makes me a brand new creation. My spirit comes alive. And all of a sudden, I'm beginning to, because my spirit is alive, I can begin to hear God's voice a bit. And I grow in that over the years. I begin to walk more in obedience to what he says, and I realize that his word is not a bunch of rules. His word is a book of truths that makes sense, and it makes life work. 
And that's what it means to walk by faith. It means to trust what God says and what Jesus has demonstrated over a society that constantly is changing, you know, every single day. It's a new truth and new relativism back and forth, just this sea. And the Lord says, get in the boat. I'm going to show you how to navigate through life in a way that makes sense. And when you know the Lord that way and he becomes the center of your life, you're not preaching. You're not religious. You're just absolutely convinced that everybody is better off if they know Jesus. It's just, it's just kind of that simple. You say, well, then how do I know him? Three simple things if you're sharing this with somebody else. And I have them here. What do I say to God? Number one, I just say I'm sorry. That's it. And we can say this as Christians as well, but if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, that's just the first thing, saying, God, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? I'm sorry for living my own way. It's not about good and bad and what you've done. It's just, Lord, I'm sorry of living life on my terms. You made me, and I'm just sorry for living life without you. Thank you for the gift you've given me. The second thing we say is thank you. For what? Thank you for plan B. Thank you that you made a way. I couldn't do this, but you made a way for me. Thank you for what you've done. And the third one is just please. Lord, would you please apply this to me? so that I can know God. Simple as that. I'm sorry, thank you, and please. I want to encourage you here this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to understand the Lord does not intend us to live small, rotting, spiritual lives. That's not what He intends. What He intends for us is to just join Him in the joy of seeing God touch and transform lives. Whatever the need may be, it just may be a need for hospitality and cookies. It may be a need for a warm meal at the soup kitchen. It may be a need for a kind, prayer, a kind word or someone explaining the good news. It may be a need for laying hands on somebody for physical healing or freedom, whatever it may. Just wherever the need is, when it rears its head, you just say, Lord, can you use me to meet that need? That people may know that you have their address, that you love them, and that you want them to have a relationship with you. That's all it's about. Would you bow your head with me this morning? I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. And as we close, I want to give you an invitation to do just that. Those three things. Every head is bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you this morning just to begin. If you're here this morning and don't know the Lord, and you're sincere in your heart, that you would just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't understand it all, but I know you're real. I know what you've done, that I can have a relationship with you. I understand that. And I'm just sorry for just living life on my terms. I want to live the fullness of life that you've come to give me. I'm sorry. You just go ahead. We're just going to take a, just take a moment. You go ahead in the quietness of your heart. If you're a believer, you might say, Lord, I'm sorry for just living by the gate all the time. I've got this wonderful news, and I've just been sitting by the gate dying. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm just done with doing nothing. I'm sorry. I'm going to begin to step out and obey your prompting. Every head is bowed. Just respect the privacy of the person beside you. Would you just say in your own words to the Lord, wherever you may be, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And now secondly, would you begin to just say, thank you, God. Thank you for plan B. Thank you that I don't have a plan. I just hope for the best, but I have no idea. But thank you that you have a plan whereby I can know that my sins are forgiven. I can know that I'm your child. I can know the truth of what you've intended my life to be. And I can know the fullness of life and relationships that you want for me. Thank you, Lord. And then finally, would you just say, please, 
thank you for what you've done, Lord. But please, I ask you now, would you apply that to my life? Would you, what you've done on the cross, would you now just come and forgive me of my sin? Just forgive me of my sin, Lord. I don't understand it all, but I just know that I need you. I need my sins forgiven. I want to know. I don't want religion. I don't want just church. God, I want to know you. And thank you you've made a way for that. And if you're a Christian here this morning, maybe you need to say, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the power that by your stripes we are healed. Thank you. Lord, please help me to apply that to my life. Please help me to believe you once and for all. Please help me to step out and actually apply my faith to the everyday brokenness that I see around me. Lord, I don't want to just sit here and enjoy the blessings of your presence and prosperity and provision and all that you bring to me while people around me are wallowing in death and darkness and decay. Lord, I want to stop doing that. I ask you, Lord, please help me to apply all that you've done for me so that others may be able to be saved as well. They may know the joy. Lord, I've freely received. Help me to freely give. Let's just remain bowed for a moment. As we close off the service, I just want to ask you this morning, nobody's looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, thank you, Lord, please. Would you just indicate by your raised hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that this morning, and I asked the Lord into my life this morning, is there anybody at all, anybody at all this morning, just raise your hand, yes, bless you, bless you. Anybody else? Yes, in the middle, thank you. God bless you. We're not joining the church, friend. It's not about joining the church. You can walk out of these doors, struck by a car, and go right to heaven because it's about Jesus. It's about your sins being forgiven. Your sins being forgiven and you being born again, the Bible says. You come alive to God. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the ministry team to come and as they just stand along the front, we're going to dismiss the service with this song. But as we slip out, it just kind of frees room for you to move. But if you raised your hand this morning, can I invite you to come? If, if somebody's with you, they'll wait for a moment. But can I invite you to come this morning? And the people that are here, ministry team, you come. We have some wonderful people here. They just like to have a word of prayer with you before you leave or answer any questions you may have. Or if this whole faith thing is new to you, you just may want them to answer a couple questions. They're glad to do that. But I, can I encourage you this morning, you just take five minutes and come and let them pray with you that you leave here with a peace in your heart that I know Jesus. And you know what? If you're a Christian already, May the Lord's been speaking to you about stepping out and you'd say, I need to do that as well. You just want to come forward and say, I want you to agree with me. I just want to pray for that faith and that boldness. I want the joy of maybe next month or the month after of seeing somebody going through baptism because I took a risk. I stepped out and I took a risk and God used me. Amen. We're going to close with this song. You are dismissed. You're welcome to remain in worship if you like. But if you raise your hand this morning, you just want prayer for anything at all. You may have sickness in your body. Come and let us anoint you and believe God for healing this morning. We want to offer ministry before you leave this place. God bless you. Let's give thanks to the Lord in prayer before we slip out. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word this morning would not leave us. I pray that your word would remain in our heart and you would accomplish what it is that you want to do at whatever stage in our journey we may be. I pray, oh God, more than anything, that we would come to know how incredible, how loving, how awesome you are and how great is your love toward us. Amazing grace, Lord, that changed our lives. And I pray that same grace be at work in every heart here this morning. Touch every heart, I pray, that raise their hands. And Lord, those who have needs this morning, may no one leave with the same need they came with. You're here to meet us. We give you praise. Walk with us through this week. And may we glorify you through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you this week.